If you will take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 5. We are starting a new chapter this morning. And uh, we're on a passage. Last week, if you remember, just go, doesn't it seem like a week ago? It seems like, you know, five lifetimes ago, something like that. But remember, last week was the story of the storm on the lake. And uh, they were crossing. And we said that this story was specifically recorded uh, to show that Jesus had power and authority over the creation. And we, we talked about that whole thing. In the story today, we're going to see that he claims to have authority over another power. And um, we picked up where we left off last week. So they had almost drowned, right? They're in the boat. They almost drowned. Jesus calms the whole storm and uh, the waves and the wind. And the story continues as they arrive at the opposite shore. And in verse 5, 1, it says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gersonines. So we're going to pick that up and, and walk through that this morning. But let's pray before we do, all right? We've set the context. Let's, let's give that to the Lord. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time of year. It was an absolutely, stunningly beautiful day yesterday. Uh, when the creation works the way you designed it to, it is f- fabulous and flawless. And Lord, it just gives us a hint of what heaven will be like. And we uh, applaud you in that. You are a fantastic engineer. You're a fantastic architect. You're a fantastic artist. And so we, we uh, throw with that. And we're going to talk about this morning, Lord. Last week, we talked about your control of the creation. This, we're going to talk about your control over the spirit realm. And we seek you this morning, Lord. As we do that, we know our, we look through a glass darkly from our side. It's very clear to you. And so we ask for your help and your favor as we walk through this and give that to you in your name. Amen. All right. So they cross the lake and land at Gersonines. And we'll just go back. Remember this map that um, we, we walk through? And here's the Sea of Galilee. If you look, there's Capernaum and Gethsemane. And they came across and the storm was probably about right there. And then they came to this side right there. That's about... Eight miles across right there. So that's no little stretch of water, right? Eight miles is a pretty good um, amount to cover. So, uh, and by the way, Dave Reber came up to me last week and said, you know, Steve, you're talking about this, this speech to that patience thing because they're out in the boat, the storm's ripping everything up, the water's calm. So God answers their prayer, but the problem is there's no wind anymore, so now they've got to row the rest of the way. <laughs> right? Oh, that's funny. Okay. So the landing site would be in what we would call modern day Jordan today. Another area, it's known as the Decapolis. You'll, you'll see that term come up several times in the New Testament. And here's where the story gets really interesting. Okay. So let's remember the context. Remember, Jesus had taught. He was in the boat. Remember, he sitting in the boat offshore. And then they said, hey, let's go across to the other side. And it said that the sun was setting. So we know as they went across the lake, it was dark. It was at night. The storm hit. Jesus calms the water. They're coming across. So when they land on the other side, it's still dark. It's still nighttime. We think it's daytime. It's not. All right? So it's, it's nighttime as they land on the uh, other shore. And last week I mentioned that many Bible scholars think that uh, the storm was an attempt by Satan to take Jesus and his fledgling movement out before it began. And now what we're going to see is that uh, this is going to become round two here, right? So Satan couldn't get him by the water, so now he's going to try by another means. And so 
Jesus, immediately upon his arrival, is confronted by this man who is demon-possessed. Let's read it together, starting in verse 1. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gersonines. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And he lived among the tombs. So, here's this guy who comes and confronts Jesus. And uh, apparently, uh, this, this man, there was a, a graveyard there. It was probably a rocky hillside that they carved the tombs in. And so he came out of the rocks, right? You can see this. It's dark. Think about this. You ever walk by a graveyard at nighttime and get a little spooked? Right? That, that's this setting right here, right? And this guy comes launching out of there. And uh, he, he's confronting Jesus. And, um, and needless to say, this is not your everyday occurrence, right? This doesn't happen every day. So this is kind of a unique thing, uh, meeting a demon-possessed man that comes out of a graveyard, right? It's, it's not uh, all the time. And this isn't just any demon-possessed man. Uh, it's a, he's a man of amazing strength and ferociousness. And in the night, nonetheless. Let's look at it a little farther. If you look at verse 3, the second half of verse 3, and it says, And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. And no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This was a violent, angry, powerful man. Nobody knew what to do with him, and nobody wanted to do anything with him either. Right? Uh, he was truly a demon-possessed man, and his, his strength was frightening. It says that he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles that held him. This is unbelievable power. Right? Uh, we actually, when I was growing up a kid again on the farm, we had these things. We had chains and shackles and we would use them for the draft horses to hold them in place in the field so they couldn't get too far away or uh, specifically for the bulls. That's one of the ways you could keep a bull from tearing up everything was just to shackle him. And, um, and so I, I called my friend Holly Coles. Holly is the wife of Mark Coles. Mark is the pastor of North Creek Church, right around the corner here, the little white church. And Holly raises horses. And I said, hey, Holly, I need some shackles and chains. You got any? She says, yeah, Steve, I've got some. They call them for horses. They call them hobbles. And so I thought this would work as a great illustration. And so I brought them this morning. So this is what this would actually look like. All right. So here's the chain. And notice it's not a light chain. It's actually a heavy chain. And it's designed uh, to carry weight so the horse doesn't feel like dragging it around. And these, these now would be leather shackles. If you, uh, I have a picture here I had Margaret get. Here are some shackles, some metal ones that would have been used for the slaves back in the time of William Wilberforce. All right. So these are actual pictures up here of what metal shackles look like. These are leather ones, but I think you can see they're pretty stout, right? And, uh, and you can see the buckler and all that the stuff that's tied with them. And it says that he pulled, he wrenched the chain. So Denny and Dean, I'm going to 
borrow you. All right, come on up here. This is live demonstration object lesson here. All right. So you're going to try and pull that chain apart. Now, two hands. Come on, let put some boost into it. Okay. No, that doesn't work. We have amazing strength. Cam, Cody, can I grab you? Come up here. Come on, I'm going to grab my buddies up here. Let's get two more. Cam's in college. He's young. He's an athlete. Cody's a pole vaulter. He's got a lot of strength. All right, ready? We're going to wrench. Go. Two, three, pull. No. All right. All right. Give him a hand. Thank you. Now, I could have grabbed Kyle and Bob, and right? We could have got five guys on the end. Even if we had five guys pulling on each end, would they have pulled this chain apart? No. We would have had a good tug of war, right? But the idea of being able to wrench this chain apart when you just look at it and the kind of force that that would require this is the kind of power it says that he took these and shredded them okay this is thick leather i mean you can right you can twist it but you shredding it it just he just shredded it so we're talking about somebody who has got um incredible power he wrenched the chains apart and tore the shackles in pieces. Right? Just shredded them. And it says that he roamed the mountains and the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Now, this is significant. Uh, and I want to point something out this morning. It, it, we don't talk about it much. It's really talked about. But uh, it's really become prevalent in our culture, and that's the phenomenon of cutting. Okay? I don't know if you know about that or have heard about that. Uh, it's often popular among teenage girls, but it's not just among teenage girls, and it's not just among teenagers. It is a phenomenon that uh, hooks people and gets them caught. And uh, many people begin to experiment with this idea. Um, often they'll tell you, I just wanted to see if I could feel pain. That was the impetus behind what's behind cutting. And it starts with a little nick or something, but then turns into... Uh, much more serious uh, consequences, uh, just disastrous consequences. And uh, you find this man, it says, running around the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. So he would take sharp stones and cut his arms, cut across his chest, doing that kind of stuff. And you can imagine the damage uh, that that did. In First Kings, you find a similar story. Elijah and the prophets of Baal are gathered on the mountain. And Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing or he's relieving himself. Well, Elijah was actually saying, Maybe your god's on the pot. Right? That's actually what... I didn't make that up. It's in Scripture. It's right there. Okay? Or he is on a journey. Perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried out and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances. So these guys didn't have rocks. They had uh, swords and daggers and they'd slash themselves. Right? That was their way of showing their devotion to God. And until the blush got out, gushed out upon them, as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered and no one paid attention. This is out of 1 Kings chapter 25. And then it says they limped around the altar. I bet they did, right? Because they're gash cut and dehydrated and... Right, This has become a, a terrible thing. And in both these cases, note that the cutting is done as a result of occultic 
or demonic influence and inspiration. And I just want to say this morning, if you're being tempted to cut, you have to ask the question, where does the source of that idea come from? Is that the voice of God or is that the voice of some devil? Cutting is what I would call a compulsion sin. It's in the same order of gambling, lying, masturbating, stealing, pornography, the like, only it has more catastrophic results. And it has to be broken. Uh, It seeks to trap you into thinking that this is necessary or mandatory and it's your only option. There's no other way out. And I just want to say this morning that again, the power of sin is in its hiddenness. Right? As long as it's secret, it has great power over us. But if you can talk to someone about it, if you can tell someone about it, it really breaks it out into the light. There is help available, but again, you have to let somebody know. Right? So just a word to the wise. If you know somebody battling with that, um, get in touch with us, let us know, and we'll go from there. But back to our story this morning. So this is a very dynamic situation. I believe, now this is my own personal take, right? There's no other Bible scholars that have said this that I found. And uh, I don't know if it's true, but just in reading through the Bible as I have over all these years, my personal take is that I believe this man came out of the tomb with the intention to kill Jesus, right? He came rushing out from the rocks, but he wasn't able to because Jesus shut him down, Uh, all he could do was cry out. Look, look what happened here in Mark 5 and 6. It says, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, this is Jesus, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So Jesus instantly knows what he's up against. As the man ran towards him, Jesus was calling out the unclean spirit that lived within him. So you can see this picture of a guy rushing down, yelling. Jesus says, what's your name? Be silent. Come out of him. And the guy buckles in front of him and all he can do is cry out, why are you trying to torment me? Right? There's a tremendous battle waging inside uh, within this man. Jesus is no longer talking to the man, but now to the demon, and as we'll see in just a second, demons that lived within him. Following in verse 9 and 13, Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. And now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And so he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep banks into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now here's where the story gets really interesting. Let's kind of put this together because there's more background to this than what appears in just uh, reading it. So there's a guy, there's this man, he's in the area. He's uh, demon-possessed. By what means or situation, we don't really know. It doesn't tell us that. It just tells us that he was demon-possessed. At first, it probably wasn't too bad. Um, 
But it got worse with time, and the people in the area originally bound him, as we said, right? They put shackles and things on him. Try to, I think originally their intent was probably to try and help him. Uh, and that probably worked in the beginning. But there was a problem. He hung around the graveyard, and the demon kept drawing him to this place. Jewish thought has it that the demons... Uh, are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim, or the giants, that you read about in Scripture. The giants are a result of the watchers, uh, the angels who left their station in heaven and took human wives, Genesis 6. Then the sons of God looked at the daughters of men and saw that they were beautiful and took them as wives. It says they left their station. Uh, the early church fathers, the book of Enoch and Sickle, Second Temple Jewish teaching, all kind of follow this line of thought. And at the flood, these hybridized spirits were sentenced to a bodiless existence until the time of the end when God's Messiah would come and then they would be sentenced to hell. And so they clearly recognized who Jesus was and what he was about. So our friend here is drawn to hang out around the tombs. And then as people died and were buried, uh, by the way, in Jewish thought... um, when a person was dead for three days, they were officially and really dead. Interesting when you think about that in connection with Jesus, right? Okay. Um, other demons began to attach themselves to this man as well. And so this guy literally became a demon magnet. He became a collecting place for these bodiless spirits that were trying to find a place to habit in. And so when Jesus came to him, and so this guy literally becomes a demonic stronghold, a, a place uh, where a bunch are gathered together. So when Jesus asks his name, he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Legion is obviously a reference to a Roman legion. Uh, if you look up, you can find this anywhere. Just what is a Roman legion? You'll find that uh, when you look up a Roman legion, we had uh, Dean and Denny and then Cam and Cody up here. That's, you know, four guys. A Roman legion is three to 6,000 men, right? Now, if you have the power of three to 6,000 men, that chain isn't too much of a problem. So you, you kind of get the context that we're talking in. Uh, no wonder he could snap the chains and shred the shackles. The demons feared being disembodied again, which is why they pled so hard with Jesus not to torment them by sending them out. They, they, they feared being afloat again. And so they suggest an alternative plan. Look, there's a herd of pigs over there. Send us into them. And basically the idea behind that was anybody is better than nobody. Right? So if I can't have a human, a pig will do. And we'll take what we can get. And so Jesus gives them permission. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's to the pigs we go. Right? And you find the reaction of the pigs is incredible because as soon as the demons enter the pigs, the pigs jump, freak out, and they're on a hill, and they run straight downhill, which is the easiest direction to run when you're spooked, right? You don't run uphill, you run downhill. And, 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 they, and then they drowned, unfortunately. Uh, biological facts, pigs can't swim. Okay? And so they all drown. And then the demons are once again disembodied. Okay, you can imagine that this is all happening. A amount of time has taken place. There's herdsmen who are watching the pigs, and now uh, daylight is starting to break. And then it says this, 
And so the herdsmen fled and told in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, so they knew who he was, right? There was no question, this is that dude. We know him. They saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. Very interesting thing that uh, being controlled by a demon makes us unstable mentally. It, it tips us. It wipes us out. Right? And so here they find the man clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And then they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Okay? The community did not see what Jesus had done as a good thing. They looked at it, it was, in terms of monetary value, it was a disaster. Right? 2,000 pigs, that's a lot of money that just went in the drink. Okay? They could not account for how Legion was sitting there dressed and in his right mind. They had tried everything, including shackles and chains. Like, how did this happen because this guy is here? Superstitious and fearful, they begged Jesus to leave their country. He literally freaked them out more than the guy Legion did. Right? Think about that. Like, they understood Legion. We know he's crazy. Just leave him alone in the tombs. They, who's this guy? What, what is this guy that he could do that. And, and so they're, they're pretty shook. Last week we saw Jesus' authority and mastery over the elements, over the creation. This week we see his authority and mastery over the demonic realm. Uh, this story is recorded to demonstrate that Jesus was Lord and master over the unseen realm. Uh, Paul says we see in a glass darkly. And one of the things that means is that we can see our reality pretty well. We can't see the spirit world very well. Okay? But God can. God understands the spirit realm very well. And the Bible and Jesus talk about it very matter-of-factly. If you read through the New Testament, there's not a like, oh, that's a weird idea. You know, the Bible says, no, there's these demons, there's these things go on, there's angels, there's this stuff. And Jesus uh, talks about that matter after his resurrected body. He me- moves between the two with ease. And so for Jesus, it's not really a big topic. For us, it's a huge topic. And this was uh, recorded to demonstrate Jesus' mastery over the unseen spiritual realm. This man held hostage and brutalized. Uh, you can just imagine how beat up he was. Okay, He was hammered. He was cut, he was bruised, banging against the rocks, yelling and screaming, probably didn't eat very well. Um, He was set free. He was set free. Fulfilling the word Jesus spoke when he first began his ministry by reading out of Isaiah. And you know this well, let me read it to you. Remember when Jesus first came, and this is recorded in Isaiah 61 and also Luke 4, but it reads like this. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, that's Jesus, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came to set the captives free. And one of those captives was this man whose name literally became Legion because he was that demon-possessed. This is the redemption and the promise given in Jesus. This man, hopelessly bound and tormented by an army of demons, is now sitting at Jesus' feet in his right mind, calm, content, no longer tormented, and free. It's an incredible, incredible story. Like so many of us have experienced as well. Okay? Uh, I know I'm Pastor Steve to you, and that's a good thing. Okay? Matter of fact, that's a really good thing. Okay? But there was a time in my life I wasn't Pastor Steve. And there was a time in my life where, not quite to this level, but I acted like this man in Scripture. Okay? And you would have not liked me so well. I would not have been really welcome, and I certainly wouldn't have been welcome in the pulpit. Right? I was crazy. I was a little nuts. I lost it in a lot of places. And, and I read this story and I can relate to this guy. Okay? And I can tell you about the power and the freedom that Jesus gives personally. It's not theoretical. Because I was trapped like this. I was bound like this. And I couldn't think straight like this. And I counted uh, seven times that I should have died before I knew the Lord. That's not too impressive because I counted four times after as well. So it just tells you what a wreck I was. But I counted seven times that literally I should have died before I knew the Lord. And all of them involved kind of circumstances like this. And I literally in a powdered milk factory at three in the morning met the resurrected Jesus Christ And he set me free just like Legion was set free. And that's the word to us this morning is that Jesus still does that. He still has that power. Don't ever think that's just New Testament. That's all done. He doesn't free people anymore. He doesn't do that anymore. That's not true. That's a lie from hell. Jesus is in the business and uh, it's his heart desire to free people. But we've got to be willing to cooperate with them. This actually then, now this story, becomes one of the greatest redemption stories in the Bible. And I want to show you this. Mark 5, verse 18. Jesus is done. He did his work. The man is set free. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who'd been possessed with demons begged him that he might go with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And when he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, there's that uh, town area there. It's the area of ten cities. Decapolis means ten cities. How much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Why did everyone marvel? Because everybody in that region knew about that guy, Right? He was the crazy guy. He was the guy in the tombs. 
my good friend John Detweiler spoke at one of North Shore's men's retreat years ago over at Warm Beach. Okay? It was a great, great camp. And uh, he was speaking on this passage and he pointed out something that I had never seen before, at least not this way. Uh, and it, it, it stunned me when he pointed it out. And I'd like to point it out for you this morning. This man, once demon-possessed and hell-bound, anybody got any doubts this guy was on his way to hell? Right? Any other route for him? No, this is, he was hell-bound, right? He was on the way there, and they had already gotten a hold of him. He was captured. He was captured by the thought process of hell and then captured and possessed by the actual spirits of hell. This man, once demon-possessed and hell-bound, is now saved, redeemed, and in his right mind. He can actually think right. He knows what Jesus has done for him, and he wants to stay with him. The word there, begged, uh, begged isn't strong enough. Uh, Other words you could plug in there. Pleaded, um, beseeched, yearned, uh, desperately. You know, like when your kids want something and, and know's not a good answer, and they just keep after it? That's, it's that kind of thing. Please. I mean, he was desperate to go with Jesus. And Jesus told him, no. Jesus said, no, but go home. Tell your family and your friends how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So this man goes, and here's the inspiring point. This man, Legion, this demon-possessed dude, goes... And he becomes the first missionary in the New Testament to the Gentile people. He goes to the Decapolis. That's not Jewish. That's Jordan. That's across the lake. And he becomes a missionary to the Gentile people. How incredibly awesome is that? He went from hellbound to becoming a missionary. Can you see why I can relate to that? I went from hellbound to becoming a pastor. Never in my wildest dream didn't know what a pastor was. I knew what a priest was, right? Didn't know what a pastor was. This guy becomes a missionary. And in that, I want us to remember something this morning. As you go through your world, you're going to see a lot of people who are opposed to the kingdom of God. You run into any of them out there? Hello? Right? And some of them in your mind, when you see them, you're going demon-possessed, right? The way they think, the, the values they hold, uh, you're just thinking, wow, I just want to avoid them at all costs. I want you to remember something. Always, always remember that Jesus has an amazing way of taking his worst enemies and turning them into his best friends. He's absolutely fabulous in how he does that. And that's every bit as true today as it was back on that lake shore 2,000 years ago. So that sets up this question this morning. Let me ask you this question. Who in your mind, as you think through your world, think through your reality, think through your neighborhood, think through where you work, think through right all those different categories, who in your mind is God's enemy? Right. Any names pop up? Just You don't have to raise your hand, but just... Right? Names pop up. People, you look and go, they're not for Jesus. They're not even just neutral. They are anti, right? They are uh, against. Who in your mind is God's enemy? And my suggestion this week is why not pray for them? 
Maybe they might be the next missionary to the Gentiles. There are people who witness to me who do not know that I ever became a Christian, let alone a pastor. And I'm pretty sure that when we get to heaven's shores, they'll be openly shocked to see me walk in. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Right? They're going to be shocked. They don't know. Who might that be in our world? Who's the nastiest, most antagonistic, most opposed to Jesus person you know? You know, sometimes we're not as opposed as we look. We just got a big wall up, right? And sometimes Satan reinforces that wall that we can't even tell where that is. And what I'm saying is, church... Pray for those people. Jesus knows how to take those people and turn them into his friends. And you can participate in that by looking at them the way Jesus looked at them. Right? This man had three to 6,000 demons in him. Do you think that's a few? Right? Would he be a candidate for heaven? Mm-mm. Not in the least. We're going to meet this guy in heaven. We're going to walk in. This is one of the guys I want to meet. And I want to ask him, what was that like for you? Can you imagine the story from his perspective when he tells it? Do you think he's going to have a tone of rejoicing in his voice over what God's done for him? Who's the most opposed person to the gospel that you know? Let's pray for him this week. That sound like a good assignment? All right, let's pray. Father, I don't know who it all is. I know who it is in my world. I don't know who it is in my friend's world because we have different uh, neighborhoods, different um, families. We have different work environments. And uh, Lord, I'm not sure how that all lays out, but um, you do and, and my friends do this morning. And as we're sitting here, Some names have come into our mind. There are some people that we know that are super opposed to the gospel, super opposed to you. And Lord, I want to pray that you would lead us to pray for them this week through the eyes of this passage that someone like Legion can be turned from one of your worst enemies into one of your best friends. And that Father, that somebody could be set free by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we we seek you for that. We know we're in a tough cultural thing. Give us somebody that you put on our hearts to pray for who's your enemy that they might turn. And we ask, Lord, that you would free them, that they would be clothed and content and sitting at your feet in their right mind. And we ask this in your grace and pray this in your name. Amen.